Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right, you can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name's Ren, and my best friend Drac is a vampire. Oh, but before you freak out, let me explain. Drac isn't like other vampires. He doesn't thirst for blood. He thirsts for knowledge. Each week, we hop into the coffin of curiosity for a spectacular adventure to learn about everything and anything, from how the sun works to why we burp. We have lots of fun, so join us. I promise that the only thing Drac will drink up is information, okay? Worst case scenario, he squirts you with some sunscreen. Search for Drac on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts for the ride of your life. Hello, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host with the absolute most, and custodian of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This green and leafy tale, Story Club members, might make you a little cautious around our floral friends. It's one I call Don't Feed the Plants. A flash of light, but no sound. It was the middle of November, so it was not heat lightning. Besides, heat lightning in the middle of summer is usually white in the cloudy warm breeze. This light was definitely fiery orange against the crisp starry night autumnal sky. It must have been a shooting star, Ashley McRae thought, and I just saw it out of the corner of my eye. She finished dumping the plastic bagged garbage into the trash can. Tomorrow was garbage pickup day, and one of her household chores was to dump the garbage when needed and move the trash can to the curb on pickup day. It was the kind of thing you had to do for your parents when you were 11 years old to get allowance money. It came in handy when you wanted to go out to a movie with a friend. Ashley kept thinking about it. If it was a shooting star, it disappeared beyond the black blur of woods by my house. Ashley felt something stir at her feet and jumped. Windham, her cat, nestled his gray furry body against her jeans. He was out for his nightly romp. Goodness, Ashley felt so spooked tonight, Windham had managed to startle her. Did you see that too, Wyndham? She asked the cat as she picked him up and held his purring body in her arms. Or were you too busy chasing down a mouse? The cat answered her with a content yellow-eyed stare. She rubbed Wyndham under his blue collar. He really loved that. Then something caught Ashley's eye again, another flash of orange light out in the woods. I know you saw that, she said to the cat. The shooting star, or whatever it was, must have hit the ground. Let's go look so we can just forget about this. Five minutes later, Ashley tromped through the woods with her dad's flashlight in hand, though she didn't really need a flashlight. The mysterious orange glow from just beyond the black trees provided plenty of light. Windham, the cat, hadn't joined her. Ashley was alone on this adventure. I hope the woods are not on fire, she thought. She reached the spot where the projectile from space had splashed down. It made a hole in the hard-packed dirt that was easily three feet wide in diameter and about two feet deep. In the middle of the impact crater glowed a rock the size of a baseball. Ashley could feel the heat on her face from the hissing, steaming rock as it cooled in the cold air. The space rock was much too hot to touch. Ashley would come back tomorrow when it cooled off. But there was something else she would take home with her, a budding plant. 
On the rim of the crater, a tiny seedling plant pushed its way through the dirt and poked its head up toward the starry night. The petite leaves of the four-inch high plant were green in color, but there was also a shimmery shade of purple to them. Ashley had never seen anything like this growing out here before, and she walked these woods all the time. There was simply nothing like it. Until now. Until this rock arrived. Ashley carefully plucked the strange plant out of the ground. It felt soft and almost furry to touch. It felt like Wyndham the cat. And did it purr when she touched it? Weird. The next morning, the plant was ten times its previous size. It stood four feet high. It engulfed Ashley's windowsill and the wall, all the way down to the carpet and tangled vines of shiny purple and green. The four-foot stalk had a large bulbous head on it the size of a basketball. The bulb was multicolored in shades of orange, red, and blue. Beautiful. What is going on? Ashley wondered. Last night, she brought the plant home and put it in one of her mother's empty planting pots with some dirt, water, and fertilizer. After showing it to her parents, she put the newly potted plant on her windowsill before she went to bed. The tiny pot she'd put it in looked like a splinted eggshell on the floor now. Wyndham, can you believe this? Ashley asked her cat, who usually woke up with her in the mornings and snuggled up next to her feet at the foot of the bed. But Wyndham didn't answer. He was not at the foot of the bed, or anywhere else. Wyndham? And then, Ashley saw it. Wyndham's blue collar. It hung tattered and frayed from the closed mouth of the gigantic butt of the plant. Before she had time to think about what she was doing, Ashley had already grabbed the plant by its neck and began choking the smooth, velvety stalk. You ate my cat! You ate Wyndham! One more thing for garbage pickup day, Ashley thought through her tears. She tried to pull the alien plant off the windowsill. It didn't budge no matter how hard she yanked. The vines of the plant snaked around her pajama-clad legs. The strength of it surprised Ashley. She could not wiggle herself free from its serpent-like grip. Mom! Dad! But then she remembered their usual Saturday morning jaunt to the coffee shop. They weren't home. No Wyndham, no parents. She had to fight this overgrown outer space weed by herself. Ashley reached for her nail file on the nightstand. She jabbed the pointed end of it deep into the head of the plant. Rah! The thing shrieked in pain. Black ooze bled out of the bud and bathed her hand in sticky, foul-smelling pitch. The stench smelled like rotten strawberries left in the refrigerator too long. But the plant did not release its grip on Ashley. Mr. and Mrs. McRae returned home from the coffee shop. They had brought a cream cheese bagel home for Ashley, her favorite. The house was quiet as they entered. Ashley and Wyndham are probably still sleeping, Mrs. McRae thought. I'll wake her up with the bagel. She headed down the hall into Ashley's room. Mr. McRae leafed through the morning newspaper to find the crossword puzzles. He heard his wife scream. Flinging the paper aside, he dashed toward Ashley's room. What's wrong? He asked as he reached Ashley's room. It was then that he noticed that a strange plant had completely filled Ashley's room. Vines and creepers, Spider walked around the wall and snaked across the ceiling. What the? The last thing he saw was his wife's shoes, with her feet still in them, slide down the big terrible head of the plant. A head that was now the size of a small car. And then, something long, green, and leafy grabbed his arms and legs. We typically eat plants, fruits, vegetables, and grains, but they don't eat us. Well, until now, I guess. Talk about nature in reverse. 
Could you imagine if plants were the apex predators at the top of the food chain? What if more of these monstrous plants sprout up and take over Ashley's neighborhood? What about the entire world? This kind of reminds me, I gotta take better care of my ficus tree. I don't want her coming after me for revenge, or for my two dogs, Spike and Renfield. Hello, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your host with the absolute most, and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This batty tale, Story Club members, might make you hope for the sun to rise as soon as possible. It's one I call Bats Away. It's near dark, Ryan said. You pitch this time, I'll bat, Scott said. Make the base hits. I don't want to be running all over the outfield for the ball. Deal. Ryan Westgard and Scott Hobson were baseball fanatics. They loved the game. When they weren't batting the ball back and forth on a late autumn day, they were playing baseball with their little league team, watching baseball games on TV, and collecting baseball cards. They knew the names and the stats of all of the best major league players. They decided to play catch at the baseball diamond in Stoker Park. Near the outfield of the park stood an old Victorian house, which had been empty for a number of years. However, a new citizen in town, Mr. Vladimir Drake, had taken up residence there. But nobody knew or had seen much of him. He'd never shown his ashen face during the day. A few people said they had seen him around town at night. He was described as polite but quiet. Most of the local kids stayed away from the old dark house that Drake had purchased. Though Scott and Ryan didn't believe much in spooks, spirits, and shadowy shapes, seeing that creepy old house did make the warm blood in their veins drop a significant number of degrees. Whap! Scott struck the ball that Ryan pitched. Snap! Ryan ran and caught the ball that was heading toward the shortstop. Good play, Scott said. Thanks, I try, Ryan retorted. The sun had set. The clouds were streaked red, the color of blood. Blue shadows sprouted under the surrounding oak trees. The evening shade was quickly transforming into the darkness of night. Let's knock off after this one, Scott said. I'm hungry, and it's getting harder to see the ball. Yeah, this place needs light so we can play night games. I wish. Ryan pitched the ball to Scott, and his friend took a swing. The bat struck only air. Oh, strike one, Ryan said. Scott dropped the bat and ran after the ball, which clinked the chain-link fence when it struck it. He threw the ball to his friend and took his place on home plate again with the bat. Ryan pitched again, and again, Scott struck only air. Strike two. No way, that was ball one. Not a chance, Ryan said. That was inside and tight. Um, wrong. Tell you what, Ryan said. Let's make things interesting. We'll make it two strikes and three balls. The next pitch will decide it. What's the wager? If you strike out, then you have to buy me a 99-cent taco at Del Taco. And if I hit the ball, you owe me the same. It's a deal. Scott threw Ryan the ball. Now the tension was on. He had to strike out his friend. The only money he had to his name was a dollar. Ryan pitched the ball again. He executed the best pitch he had in his bag of tricks. The ball flew toward Scott. He knew it would fly past his friend. Free taco tonight. Whap. Scott struck the ball. Harder than he meant to, but let's face it, a 99-cent taco was on the line, not to mention serious bragging rights. The ball whooshed over Ryan's head. He jumped for it, but had no chance. The ball screamed across the field. 
It landed at the edge of the park, bounced, rose, rocketed over the chain link fence, and crash, shattered the basement window of the creepy old Drake house. You owe me a taco, mister, Scott smiled. Yeah, but now we don't have a ball to play with anymore. Ryan was right. Over the course of the summer, they had a number of baseballs, but one by one, they'd gotten lost. And a new one would cost five bucks, which was four more dollars than Ryan had. Welp, now that he had to buy a taco, he actually had no money. Go and get it, Scott said. You go and get it, you hit it there. But you pitched it to me. There was no point in arguing with Scott. He was bullheaded. Come with me then. Fine. So Scott and Ryan packed up their mitts and bat and trekked across the field. The Drake house looked shadowy in the dying light, which didn't help make it any less creepy. We don't need that ball, Ryan said. We'll just get another one. That's not the point. We broke the guy's window. If he sees and reports us to the cops for damaging his property and running away, we could be in serious trouble. Ryan nodded and climbed over the chain link fence. As he approached the house, he felt colder, as if the house made the area around it drop 15 degrees. Yep, there was the broken window. He thought about opening the storm cellar doors, running down the stairs, quickly grabbing the ball, and dashing back up. But he might get into more trouble for breaking and entering. Ryan tentatively knocked on the front door. It must have not been latched as it creaked open. The house was dark. Things were still packed in boxes. The place was dusty and filled with cobwebs. This was a bad idea. Hello? Ryan said. He didn't want to go inside, so he rang the doorbell. It bonged through the house, and he waited for several moments, but nobody came to greet him. He saw the door that may lead to the cellar. He walked inside, across the dusty living room, and opened the door, which was partially ajar. Yep, there were stairs leading down. The baseball sat in the middle of the floor, dying scarlet sunlight from the broken window casting a shadow on it. He'd grab the ball and run. Obviously, the owner wasn't here. He'd never know it was him and Scott. Ryan descended the stairs and grabbed the ball. A moment later, he heard a creaking sound. In the shadowy corner of the room, a box that resembled a coffin opened. A man sat up in it, pale-faced with eyes burning like fire. He turned to Ryan and cracked a toothy grin. Scott paced around in the field. What was taking Ryan so long? He thought about climbing over the fence to go see what was going on. A moment later, however, Ryan appeared. He had the baseball in his grip. He looked sickly and pale, though. Ryan's steps didn't seem to touch the grass, and he didn't leave any footprints. Are you all right? Ryan didn't answer him. Instead of climbing over the fence like before, he leapt over it effortlessly, almost flying like a bat, and landed on the other side in front of Scott. When he smiled, he revealed two incisor teeth that were long and sharp as fangs. Master Drake wants to see you. Scott knew he should say something, but Ryan's eyes, which burned like fire, made him feel warm and safe. He wanted to go with his friend to see this master. Yeah, this story had a long lead-up about baseball, and then knocked one out of the park on the total scare factor. Home run. This was definitely one of the creepier stories I've shared, devoted listeners. I hope it didn't drive you too, Batty. My fur babies, Spike and Renfield, are hiding under the couch, shivering in fright. Sorry, boys, but I can never resist a good vampire tale. They make me a little long in the tooth. <laughs>
Anyway, I have a feeling that Ryan and Scott will be able to convince the Del Taco staff to do anything they want without spending a dime now that they're vampires. But as mere mortals, let's face it, we need to keep an eye on our moolah and only spend it when the deal is right. Do you like to laugh? Ah, who am I kidding? Who doesn't like to laugh? So okay, if you love to laugh, you'll love Don't Break the Rules. It's a hilarious comedy improv podcast where the voice actors make up their lines on the spot and try to be the only actor who doesn't break the rules. These talented actors are great at coming up with silly scenes and stories when they follow the rules for the episode. And it gets even sillier when they accidentally break the rules. The stories are guided by suggestions from kids like you, and the episodes feature laughs, burps, and the occasional unicorn. So if you'd like to giggle and play along, be sure to listen to Don't Break the Rules wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This hairy tale, Story Club members, might make you step away from your pet cat if you have one. It's one I call Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Werecat? Cora Leonard's family invited Wendy on a picnic to Overlook Point. It's a beautiful spot, Cora had said. It overlooks the ocean, which is how it got its name. Wendy Duval had moved next door to Cora Leonard's house a week previously. She noticed that all the Leonards had the same beautiful eyes as Cora, emerald green. Cora's mom, Callie, had curly auburn hair. Her dad, Alex, was always smiling and seemed to be enjoying a private joke. Her six-year-old little brother, Leon, was always poking at you and then smiling. Really annoying. They all loaded up the minivan and headed down the highway together. The beautiful March day was a warm contrast to the long stretch of winter chill that had overstayed its welcome. Wendy felt good and was looking forward to getting to know Cora and her family better. Her new neighbors seemed really nice and welcoming so far. Wendy didn't know anyone else in her new town yet and was grateful for the company. She had immediately bonded with Cora when they met in their front yards. The news report on the radio spoiled the good feeling. There have been a number of cattle mutilations in the area over the past several weeks, the news announcer said that mountain lions or some other large predators are coming down from the hills to prey upon the livestock. Two sheep were recently discovered on Craven Farm near Overlook Point. It's advised to be aware of these predators. Cora's dad changed the station to some music. Overlook Point was a steep grassy cliff painted with purple wildflowers. The sun hung low in the western sky, making everything golden. The blue sea beyond appeared endless as it ebbed against the pink horizon. We got a late start, Cora's mom said. We'd better dig into this food before we're eating in the dark. Cora's parents spread out a blanket and lugged out baskets stuffed with food. Leon sat on the ground, playing with some toy cars, making them crash into each other. The banquet of food strewn across the blanket looked incredible. Double-decker sandwiches, gallons of soda, aged cheese and crackers, a basket of fresh fruit. Starving, Wendy ate three sandwiches, a half a watermelon, six slices of cheese, and slurped down two orange sodas. Stuffed, Wendy wanted to lie back and take a nap on the soft, warm grass. It almost hurt to move. She was so full. 
The Leonard family would probably have to roll her back into the minivan. Let's take a walk, Cora said, grabbing the sleeve of Wendy's shirt. It'll make you feel better. I can barely move, Wendy said. Can't we just hang here? We could, but you'll miss the best place on Earth to check out that sunset. It's not too far, and you'll thank me later. After some more coaxing, Wendy agreed to go with Cora. It did feel better to walk and get some blood away from her swollen stomach and into her legs. During their walk, Wendy sneezed. Somebody must have a cat around here. Gesundheit, Cora said. Are you coming down with a spring cold? No, I'm probably allergic to something here. Maybe there's a cat around. I'm terribly allergic to those. I don't see any cats, Cora said, scanning around. They continued walking down the trail toward the ocean. Feeling sentimental, Wendy thanked Cora for befriending her. It's hard to be different, Cora said. I know exactly what it feels like to be the outsider. People can be so cruel to those who they deem unusual. They shun anyone who's not part of the norm. It's really lame if you ask me. How are you different? Wendy asked, wondering why anyone wouldn't have Cora as a friend. Do you believe that a person could become something else? You mean like switching religions or political parties? No, Cora said. Nothing like that. I mean, physically becoming something else. Transforming into another animal. That's impossible, Wendy said. Cora's jade eyes flashed as if on fire. Then I'll show you, doubter. Cora's nose began to elongate. Fur sprouted over her face and hands. It had a rust color to it. She started to take on a feline appearance. Her flat white teeth grew into dagger-like fangs. Her short fingernails extended into three-inch claws. She resembled a jungle cat, a Bengal tiger walking on its hind legs. I'd run now if I were you, Cora growled. Without looking back, Wendy ran. Her legs dug into the sandy trail and she sprinted up the hill, her heart pumping hard. Was the Cora turned werecat chasing her? She wished she hadn't eaten so much. The food slowed her down and she felt sick. Wendy arrived at the picnic area to warn Cora's family about what happened. But the entire Leonard family was gone. Wendy sought safety inside the minivan, but trying the doors frantically, she found them all locked. Low growls came from behind her. Cora was peering at her. Her eyes seemed to glow green in the blood-red sunset. She bared her fangs into an almost smile. Three more rust-colored werecats emerged from the conifer tree line along the edge of the point. Two adults and a smaller one, a cub, the Leonard family. The predators spread out, forming a semicircle around Wendy. Their pearly white teeth were bared, and their ivory razor claws glinted off the dying sunlight. Wendy's tired, throbbing legs carried her back down the trail toward the beach. Cats, she remembered, don't like water. If she waded out into the surf, they'd leave her alone. She could figure out what to do after that. Running down the trail toward the sunset-soaked beach, it all started to make sense. Cora and her family didn't bring her out here for a picnic. She was the picnic. That's why they barely ate anything while she stuffed herself. They were fattening her up for the kill. They knew Wendy wouldn't be able to run fast if she was full of food. Talk about eating yourself to death. Wendy hit the beach, stumbled across the sand, and then tumbled into the surf. The green ocean water felt about two degrees warmer than ice. She immediately went numb from her feet to her waist where the water engulfed her. The streak of tigers appeared on the beach. A group of tigers was called a streak. Wendy remembered reading that. 
They all peered at the frothy waves lapping onto the sandy shore. Wendy screamed at them to go away, but they just waited on the edge of the beach, occasionally wetting their paws, but not advancing further into the water. Wendy grinned and shouted, I've won, I've beaten you, cats hate water. She could stay in the frigid water as long as it took, Wendy told herself. Somebody would come eventually, help would arrive. The werecats bared their fangs and then began to stalk out into the surf toward her. They didn't seem to mind the water. In fact, they looked quite comfortable. With horror, Wendy suddenly remembered reading that tigers actually like water. They'll swim out into the water to fetch prey if they must. Wendy's smile faded as the sun died beyond the horizon, making everything the color of blood. Whoa. I wonder if Cora and her family eat Wendy or adopt her into their secret werecat family. If it's the latter, that might be a little hard with Wendy's lifestyle since she has strong cat allergies. Anywho, let's lighten the mood with a fun fact, okay? Did you know that werecats are shapeshifters similar to werewolves? Were means man in Greek. For thousands of years, cultures in Africa, Asia, and Europe believed that people transformed into animals, particularly cats and wolves. Werecats can also be called by their specific cat type, such as were-lion, were-tiger, were-lynx, and were-jaguar. My little dogs, Spike and Renfield, don't like this story much because cats make them nervous. I can't say that I blame them after this tale. Sorry, boys. But you know what I'm not sorry about? Dressing up Spike and Renfield in the smallest size child story club t-shirts offered at GoKidGo.com. After all, my dogs are my kids right now, and they look adorable. Plus, I think the story club style has seriously improved their street cred. The German shepherd who lives next door is always up against the fence growling at my two little guys when we go out for a walk. But when Spike and Renfield popped out their story club tees this morning, that German shepherd zipped it. You do not mess with a story club member sporting their threads from GoKidGo.com. Phantom hunters are tough. And as you know, my devoted listeners, I am the ultimate tough phantom hunter. <laughs> Join me back here tomorrow, if you dare. Ivy out. Go kid, go! Once upon a time, there was a girl who dreamed of flying through the stars, who dared to resist injustice, who lived to a beat and a rhythm that was all her own. Her name was Chloe Frida, Oprah, Celia Cruz, Josephine, Greta, Ruth, Alice. One day, she wondered, could today be the beginning? of something new. This was her one opportunity to do something, something big. So that's exactly what she did. Along the way, she discovered that she wasn't alone. Her body felt strong, her mind sharp. She was prepared to work as hard as it took. Her words were making a real change, and she felt powerful. I'm Gail King. I'm Andrea Day. I'm Diane Gibbons. I'm Lindsay Vaughn. I'm Jamila Jamal. I'm Anita Hill. I'm Brenda Chapman. I'm Alana Glazer. And this is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio.